Okay, now that we have defined tongues and prophecy and all those other gifts, we look at the rules that are governing, especially how tongues and prophecy are used in the church. That's in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It doesn't really have anything to do with marriage, though it is very nice. It's really about how we treat one another in the church. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, there's the heavenly language. There's the heavenies. If I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. Here's what he's saying. I could speak in tongues all day, but if I'm a jerk, it doesn't count. That's the point. You need to be loving. Every Christian has different gifts, but one thing we're all supposed to have is love. And our gifts are little more than differing ways that we can all love each other. If you're a servant, you love by serving. If you're a teacher, you love by teaching. If you're a helper, you love by helping. If you're a leader, you love by leading. The spiritual gifts are just ways to love each other. And so if we have the gift, but we don't love, we've missed the whole point. That's what he's saying. Jesus said this by this. He said, by this, everyone will know that you guys belong to me. If you what? If you love one another. The evidence of Christian maturity is not that you can speak in tongues or prophesy or teach. It's that you love people and you love Jesus and you love people with the love of Jesus. Romans 5 says, Through the power of the Holy Spirit that is poured out the love of God into your heart. The Corinthians were like, I pray in tongues. I pray in tongues better than you do. I pray in tongues more than you. Paul says, you're not very nice. You're all good at tongues and you're all bad at Christianity. You need to work on that. If I have the gift of prophesy, I mean, that's a cool gift. And I could fathom all mysteries. I know who's going to win the Stanley Cup. I know who's going to win the World Series. I know who's going to win the election. I can tell you the future. Cool. And if I could fathom all mysteries and knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, if you could do that, I'd pay to see it. I mean, that would be really cool. But have not love. I'm what? Nothing. Say it again. I'm what? Uh, nothing. That's what the Greek says. You can walk on water, right? You can fly in a flaming chariot to heaven. But if you're not loving, it doesn't matter. That's what Paul's saying. If I give all I possess to the poor, if I start, get this, a big foundation, 
and I write those huge, enormous checks, if I surrender my body to the flames, hey, if I'm a first responder, right? Or I take a bullet for somebody, or somebody needs a heart and I give them my heart, or a lung and I give them mine, I'm still alive. But have not love, I gain nothing, it doesn't count, it doesn't matter. The problem is never the spiritual gift. Really? The problem is always when it's exercised without love. All this stuff about spiritual gifts now is making complete sense. And what we're saying is in addition to tongues, in addition to prophecy, be loving. I mean, we believe in the gifts, but be loving. What is love? Well, he gets into the great, the great wedding verse. And most of you who are married were married with this verse. Yeah, it's out of context, by the way, but it still is a good verse. The context is spiritual gifts, chapter 12, spiritual gifts, chapter 14, spiritual gifts, chapter 13. Why is he talking about love? Because the whole point of spiritual gifts is there are different ways we can love each other. So what is love? Love is patient and love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it is not rude, it is not self-seeking. It's not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, it always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Here's what he's saying. Here's the big idea. There's spiritual gifts... And then there's spiritual maturity. And they're different. And what he is saying is you can be a great leader, but if you don't love the people you lead, you're not doing any good. You could be a great teacher, but if you don't love the people you're teaching, you're not doing any good. You could be a great servant, a great administrator, a great orator, a great miracle worker, a great healer. But if you don't love people, you're immature. You're not using the gift for the purpose that God ordained it. There's a difference between spiritual giftedness and spiritual maturity, and sometimes the zealous, immature people think, I have a gift, I'm amazing. No. Humility, love, selflessness, that is the miracle because that's a changed life, courtesy of God, the Holy Spirit. Here's what he says. Where there are prophecies, they will cease. Will prophecy exist forever in heaven? Will we prophesy? Will a word need to come from God through a prophet? In heaven? No. Jesus will just tell us. Super simple shortcut, right? 
Hmm, I wonder what God thinks. Well, we can go ask him. That's easy enough. Prophecy is temporary. But what exists forever? Love. There won't be prophecy in heaven, but there will be love and lots of it. That's why love is more important than all the gifts. See, prophecy will stop. But love? That'll keep going into the kingdom of heaven. Where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Will we speak in tongues in heaven? Nope. We'll speak the same heavenly language. I'm assuming. I don't know what that'll be. We won't need interpreters. We won't need missionaries. We won't need linguistics. We'll all communicate. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part. Now, how many of you have felt that in your Christian walk, in your Christian knowledge, you only know a little bit? Partly. I mean, that's Christianity, isn't it? We know just a little bit, in part. We don't know everything that we, we would like to know, but we do know what we need to know. That means Christianity distinguishes between questions and uncertainty and unbelief. Unbelief says, I don't believe the Bible. I don't believe in Jesus. I don't believe I'm a sinner. I don't believe in heaven. I don't believe in hell. That's unbelief. Christianity says, I believe in Jesus, the Bible, heaven, hell. There's just some things I don't understand. I know in part. There's some questions I still got and I live by faith. When I get to heaven and see Jesus, I'm sure everything will get cleared up for me. So I'm just waiting until I see him. That's Christianity. If you have doubts, if you have questions, you could still be a faithful Christian because you know it in part. The guy who says, I figured out everything. Well, guess what? He hasn't figured out anything. The guy who says, I figured out some things, he's figured it all out. We know in part. We prophesy in part. But when perfection comes, the imperfect disappears. Fascinating verse. Those who say that certain supernatural, miraculous gifts like tongues and prophecy and healing and miracles and such only existed in the early church and they ceased when the perfect came, they will tell you that the perfect has come and it's the Bible. Now that we have the Bible, we don't need tongues and prophecy or knowledge. They've ceased. Okay. One thing I would say is this. Do we believe the Bible is perfect? We do in its original form. We are a Bible-believing church, absolutely, unequivocally, unapologetically. We believe the Bible. We believe every word of it. Proverbs 30, verse 5 and 6, every word of God is flawless. We believe the Bible is inerrant. That's the doctrine we teach. No mistakes in the Bible. We believe that in its original form. But is that the perfect that is being spoken of here? 
I don't think so. If you keep reading in verse 11, when I was a child, that means when I was a selfish little kid, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I put childish ways behind me. He's talking about maturing. These people are very immature in their faith. They could speak in tongues, they could prophesy, they could heal, but they're not very nice to each other and they're not very considerate of one another. Remember the context of the whole book of Corinth. Remember the previous chapters of the letter. Were they mature? Mm, didn't sound like it. Let me refresh your memory. Some of them were still getting drunk at the Lord's Supper. Yeah, chapter 11. And one's having sex with his mum, and the rest are shacking up together. And just because they could speak in tongues and prophesy doesn't really matter. They think that because they have spiritual gifts, they're super. No. What makes you mature is love and humility, maturity, and the differentiation between adult and a child is this. A child, generally speaking, is self-consumed, like the Corinthian church. It's all about me and what I feel and what I want and what I need. My ministry and my gift, and Paul says that's like a kid. Be a grown-up and say, you know what? It's not about me. It's about him. It's about us. Don't be childish. But I like to speak in tongues and I want to do it publicly. And I want to do it at the Bible study and I want to do it at the youth rally. Well, is that loving? And is that biblical? Is that edifying other people? Is that helping anybody? No, but it helps me. Well then, don't be a baby about it. Go home, lock the door, scream and shout. Have a great old time. God bless you, but don't be a child about it be an adult. Now, Paul says, we see but a poor reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. You know what? We have imperfect ministries. Ugh. My teaching is far from perfect. Our church, far from perfect. Our administrative systems, our communication, far from perfect. Everything here is imperfect. One day, our imperfect ministries will go away. And in the meantime, we want to mature and we want to grow and do the best we can at what God has given us and apportioned for us to do. But one day, our imperfect ministries will go away because the perfect comes. And what's the perfect? He just told us. We'll know when the perfect comes because we'll see him face to face. What's that? It's the second coming of Jesus. That's what that is. Imperfect people, imperfect churches have imperfect ministries until Jesus comes back and then everything gets straightened out. 
The curse is lifted. Sin is no more. Death is no more. Certain gifts we don't even need in heaven. Gift of mercy. Go visit the people in the hospital that are dying. There's going to be no hospitals and nobody's dying. Gift of healing. Nobody's going to need to be healed. Everybody's going to be fine in heaven. Certain gifts won't be needed. So the perfect does not refer to the coming of the Bible. The perfect refers to the coming of Jesus. We believe that Jesus Christ is coming again. And we long for that day. We'll see him face to face. Some people call that the beatific vision. The beautiful vision. Like Mary saw the resurrected Jesus in the garden. And he walks with me and he talks with me. And he tells me that he is his own. And the joy I see as we tarry there, no other has ever known. But we're going to know, because we're going to see our Savior face to face. Our hopes, our dreams, our goals, our aspirations are all tied up with seeing the face of Jesus. That's what we want as Christians. We want to mature, serve Jesus, do ministry, be the church, and one day when Jesus gets back and he calls us forward and we walk up, head bowed in humility because we can't believe this day has finally come, and we look up into his face and he says, because he can now say this, because he has made it all possible, he says to us, I can't believe this day's coming. He says, well done, good and faithful servant. Now my ministry has come to an end and I enter into the kingdom where everything is perfect and sin and the curse are lifted. And the Lord Jesus is the one in charge. And he does everything perfectly. We do ministry until we see Jesus. We exercise our gifts in love until Jesus returns. That's the point. And then he says at that point, I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. My faith becomes sight. My questions get resolved. My doubts disappear. My worries subside. My fears are gone. I have nothing to hide. Completely and utterly exposed in front of the one who created me and redeemed me and loved me. And I feel for the very first time in my life, I really feel no shame. In the meantime, these three remain. Faith, what is it? I trust in Jesus. I'm waiting for Jesus. I love Jesus. He's coming or I'm going one way or another. I'm going to see him. And that leads to hope. My life is not in vain. My church is not in vain. My ministry is not in vain. Even though I'm not perfect, even though my ministry is not perfect, I still have hope that God's using it. And finally, love. And he says, the greatest of these is what? It's love. You know what? We're going to need a lot of things in heaven, but love will still be there. And it's the most important thing.
We won't need a bunch of stuff in heaven. But we will need love. And then he goes, here are the guidelines. Follow the way of love and eagerly desire spiritual gifts, especially the gift of prophecy. Okay, I'm going to close here and talk about that next time.